This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Well, welcome back. Y'all look good. I'm just going to be honest with you. You look good. This is the best looking church I've ever looked at in my entire life. Y'all are a good-looking church. Listen, I'm just going to tell you something that I like to do. Don't, don't laugh at me too hard. I love to go to the dump. I do. But only, only in Stanley County do you call it the dump. Everyone else, they call it a landfill. But, but I love to go to the Here's two reasons why I like to go to the dump, all right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I like, I like things clean, okay? And so the best part of going to the dump is that I get to take trash out of my house. That's the best part of going to the dump. But the second best part is there's a, there's a guy that works at the dump. His name is Irvin. I'm going to preach about him one day. Listen, because this guy's amazing. When I pull up, he looks like Santa Claus. I mean, dude's got a big old white beard. And he's a little overweight, not a lot. Don't tell him I said that if you know him. All right. Um, and so he's got a little belly. And so when I pull up to the dump, Irvin is at the back of my car waiting for me to pop the trunk. And he talks to me. And we, I mean, he's just a great guy, and he loves his job. Man, it's awesome. I love people like that. You know what I'm saying? That there are people in different pockets of life, and you see it, and you go, man, you know, I would not take the pride and the time that you take. This is, I mean, he blesses me every time. So I went to the dump this week, all right? And I show up, I had to drop off a box to go get it crushed because I love going to the dump. I just do. And something happened when I was there. I was talking to Irvin, and I left my door open, and I'm driving down the road. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I hate a fly. My grandfather hated flies so bad that, that if he saw a fly cross the room at dinner, he would get up, grab the fly swatter, and chase that thing. And if it landed on the back of your head, I'm sorry. He was going to kill it. And I think there might be something buried deep in the human genome that, that uh, predisposes us to hate flies. Because if it's there, I got it. So I'm in the car driving down the road, and I hear, pow, there's a, there's a fly that's got in my car. And now listen, I like to have my car clean too, okay? And I, I just, listen, we got busy with starting this church and for about four or five weeks, I didn't clean it or vacuum it out, and, and it got dirty. So I got it clean, and got it clean about a, about a week ago, all right? And there's a fly in my clean car, and I'm flipping out. And the next thing I know is it hit the passenger side window, and foo, pow, right in the driver's side window. And I'm thinking, God, this fly's mad. And think about it. If you're a fly, all right, what's the best place you could ever live? It's the dump, Right? Poor fly, poor fly's at the dump. Like, this is like heaven for a fly. I mean, it's the best place a fly could ever live, and he ends up in my clean Volkswagen, right? He's got to be mad. I know it. I know he's mad, right? So I roll down the windows. I get, I'm I'm trying to be a humanitarian about it. I'm not trying to kill him. I'm just going to let him out. He's close enough that he could spend a few days and possibly get back to the dump, all right? And I get a phone call, and I answer the call, and, uh, and I had to roll the windows up. You know how that goes, right? And so in about a few minutes, I heard, pow, 
The fly's still in there. I had the windows rolled down for four or five minutes. How did you stay in here? And then, pow, right in the back of the head. I mean, this fly's angry now. He's, he's stupid and angry. So what kind of fly is at the dump and gets trapped in a clean Volkswagen? That doesn't make any sense. There's some trash over there. Go hang out with it, right? So now he's in my, he's in, so I roll the windows down again, and I get another call. I'm at an appointment, so I'm sitting outside. And, and I'm talking on the phone, don't hear the fly anywhere. And I'm feeling like I was nice because I let him out of the car, right? Because I was nice and rolled the windows down. And so I get out to go into my appointment and I shut the door. And right from the inside, I see him coming at me, phew, right inside, up against the window, trapped inside my car. Now some of us, some of us are living life like I was living with that fly. Because there's people all around us. And we try to shoo them away. It's really remarkable that we live in a world where there's a thousand ways to get in touch with someone. And isolation and depression are rampant. That people feel more alone than they've ever felt in the world. And we've got more ways to connect with one another. My friend who's a pastor in Detroit, his name is Brad, he did a research project on this a few years ago. And Brad, Brad wrote a book, and then he did a series of videos. So that's kind of how it went down. He did a research project, wrote a book, then did some videos. And I want to I show you this video. Now, he comes, he's from Detroit. But the problem that, that he's talking about in this video is a problem that we all face. It's the fact that we just live in a world where people aren't connected to one another anymore. So look at this video. Community in America is broken. A recent study indicates that for the average American, there's only two people that they can confide in for any meaningful conversation. And for the rest of us, we don't have anyone at all. Growing up in Michigan, cars were a big deal. As a matter of fact, as I was growing up, we used to do assemblies at school that just went over the history of the automobile. In the 1950s and 60s, Detroit was the place to be. It was the motor city in the age of the automobile. Cars were such a big deal to the city that they made an intentional choice to take out the trolley system so that for the average Joe, his only option was to own a car to get to work. Matter of fact, most families probably needed two cars, one for mom to take kids to school and one for dad to get into the city to work. They brought in the freeway system, and these freeways didn't go around these communities. They just cut right through them. And at the time, no one had any idea what the consequences of doing that would be. 60 years later, we have a man named Robert Putman who did a study on the social fabric of America. And what he found was that for every 10 minutes of commute, we're 10% less likely to have meaningful relationships. The average commute for America today is 30 minutes each way. I mean, most of us, we don't even know our neighbors. I know it's really hard for us to believe that we're that disconnected, that we're that isolated from one another. Because when we look around the world, we've got more options for connectivity than we've ever had before. 
the average Facebook user has 314 friends and is connected to 80 community pages. But if that community was real, if it was authentic, if it was life-changing, would we have issues like depression and loneliness? That's such a big part of our life. They say by the year 2020, the second most common health issue around the world will be depression. We weren't built for isolation. We weren't meant to live lives disconnected from one another. In fact, we were created in the image of a God who exists in community. We were created for community. Now, I want to remind you of something that I've told you all throughout this series. And it's this truth that it's impossible to win if you're playing the wrong game. If you're taking notes, that's the first thing in your notes. It's impossible to win if you're playing the wrong game. As you turn in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles, to 1 Samuel uh, 23, I want to remind you something as we continue to talk about David. King David, King David was a winner. And God himself calls him a winner. He says, listen, this man, David, he's a man after my heart. And David, in this moment, when we find him today, he doesn't look like a winner. Because the king who Saul has grown jealous of David and is hunting him. And David has been pushed back into the wilderness. But we're going to see maybe out of everything that I'm going to tell you in this series, the most epic, game-changing truth come alive right in the middle of that because looking at a at a guy who in most of our eyes in this moment looks like a loser God takes him because he's playing the right game and does something amazing in his life and so first Samuel 23 We're going to read just a few verses, starting in verse 15. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be the king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord and Jonathan went home. But David remained in Horish. Now in the last few weeks I've told you a few things that I think for most of us need to change the way that we play the game in relationships. And the first thing was, was that relationships are only sustained by grace. It's important to notice that the king is hunting down a shepherd boy. 
and the prince. The prince who is the rightful heir to the crown goes to David and says, you will be king. You will be king. Now I'll be your second, but you will be king. Right? That's what he says. I mean, I'll be your second, but you're going to be. I mean, listen, that statement is ridiculous. And last week I told you that relationships only work if they're lived in covenant. And I told you last week we looked at another moment in their, their relationship, but that they constantly reaffirm their covenant. This is another one of those moments with David and Jonathan where they pause and say, you know what, let's, let's again just get this right. I'm for you and you're for me. But there's something in that passage that's profound. Because this is one of those moments when we find David weak, chaste, hiding. And the Bible says that his friend Jonathan comes to him and it uses these terms. It says that it, Jonathan helped him find strength in the Lord. He didn't come with a bunch of half-hearted, nice sayings. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I know. It's all going to work out in the end for the best. He didn't say that. He helped him find strength in the Lord. There's something supernatural that happens when Jonathan shows up. Jonathan shows up and somehow in the heart of David, he finds strength in God. How many of y'all have ever been in a place where you just need a friend that's going to come up and say, listen, you don't have to be afraid because God can do something. You don't have to be worried about this because our God, he's bigger than that problem you have. That's what happens in this moment. And it leads me to see this one really powerful, game-changing truth for us. And it's this, that we need relationship. I mean, that video... Brad's talking about the statistics that are out there about how disconnected we are with people today and how, how much we live out of significant relationships with other people. I mean, it's true. It's true. Listen, for those of us that live around people, it's a telling question to ask how well do you know your neighbors because Listen, it wasn't that long ago that you lived next to somebody and you knew everything that was happening in their life. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like y'all on a party line and I know, listen, I'm listening to, listen, I'm, I'm on the phone listening to their conversations. Y'all done that before, I know, right? Because why? Because you lived in their world. 
And the stuff that's came along that lets us communicate with other people has also allowed us to push people away. But the truth is, is that you were created to need relationship. Now, every year, I don't know about y'all, but I like to make some New Year's resolutions. Anybody do that in the house? Raise your hand if you make some New Year's resolutions. Every year, I promise myself I'm going to read the Bible all the way through starting on January 1st. I'm going to read a chapter every day or something like that, right? And so when I was a, a teenager, I never did that ever. I never, ever. I would like make it like one day, right? So I got to be really familiar with Genesis chapter 1, <laughs> right? And I'm going to show you a verse that's in Genesis chapter 1 because I know all y'all, y'all probably not going to confess it openly today, but I know all y'all read that chapter like a thousand times. And I'm going to show you something that's in there. Because the thing is, is that we know that in that chapter, God declares that he made you and me in his image. I don't really know what that means, but I know that it means that somehow we're a lot like God. That he made us to be like him, formed like him. And when you read this verse, there's something in it that most of us, when we're reading it, we just run right on by. We don't think about it. And it reminds me how, how we, we sometimes don't see what Scripture's saying. This Scripture is Genesis 1. It says, let God, this is God. So let us make man in our own image. What? Let us? You ever notice that? Let us make man in our image? What? Does that make any sense to anybody in this room? Let us make man. What? See, God for eternity existed in relationship with himself. Now, what I'm about to say is something that doesn't make any rational sense. But it's a truth that Scripture affirms over and over and over again that God is one God who has three different persons. That Jesus was around way before the world was ever created. The plan for redemption was in place far before we ever blew it up. And that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit lived in eternity, with relationship within themselves. And then God made you in his image. So there's something in you that needs relationship. There's something in you that needs relationship. As a matter of fact, just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus shows up and begins his earthly ministry by getting baptized John the Baptist dunks him. It's this like hallmark moment in the kind of Jesus, you know, timeline. It's when the skies open up. God, I love you, son. You know, it's one of those moments right after that. You know what he does? He goes and finds some fishermen and asks them to do life with him. He goes to Peter Andrew and says, hey, y'all are fishermen. 
Listen, y'all come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he goes to James and to John and he says, hey, you guys, same deal. I'm offering right on the table right now. Come follow me. You're fishers. I can make you fishers of men. Why in the world when the Son of God comes to earth and chooses to navigate life with significant relationships with people around him, why do we think we can do it alone? That doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't, but we do it. And that's a game you can't win. And we need relationship in our life. I mean, over and over and over again, we see that. And it's so countercultural. I mean, it's the opposite bend of the world that we live in. The world that we live in is, is bent towards some shallow, shallow, like ankle-deep relationships. Hey, how y'all doing? Y'all doing good? Nice to see you. How y'all doing? Y'all doing? You know, I mean, that's kind of how we go about it. But I want to show you that there are some reasons why we need relationship. Some of them are reasons you already know. Some of them are reasons you might have been running away from relationships for. The first one is that we, we need encouragement. We need encouragement. I mean, you might not be where David is. You might not be in the wilderness today. But get ready. It's coming. You might not be there, but we need some people to show up and hold our hand and say, listen, you don't have to be afraid. You don't because you know what? You remember that time when we were like at almost the same place and God showed up and he did exactly what you needed him to do and he carried you through that? You don't have to be afraid. God can do it again. We need people to encourage us because you know what happens to us? We kind of, oh God, it's bad. It's, it's, it's really bad. I ain't got no money. And, uh, and we got a lot of bills. And I'm trying to pay the cable bill because I, I want to see the fight this weekend. And God, I can't, I can't, I can't make it happen. God, and we, we get lost in our problems but we need relationship because people, people that love you see beyond your problems. Look at this verse. This is important. First Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Listen, if there's something that we could be known as a, as a church, just let it be that. And let us be an encouraging, life-giving, building someone up church. Because, listen, there's a lot of stuff in life that's tough enough already. Right? We ain't got to make it any tougher. Let's encourage somebody. Let's build somebody up. Because that's what relationships add in our life. Right? You need that. You're going to need that. The second thing 
is that we need accountability. Now, when I was in high school and college, if you were a young man and, and you, were, you were a Christian, let me just go ahead and tell you, everybody told you, you need an accountability partner. And what that meant is that you need someone in your life that can play referee and throw a flag every time you do something that's stupid, right? And so my accountability partner came up with the idea that we would take the Bible and put it down in front of our pants when we were in school and stupid stuff like that, right? And that's just, that's what we thought that accountability meant. It's the sin police, right? Oh, you messed up. I saw it happen. I saw you get angry. I saw you talking to your wife that way, right? That's what we think sometimes. But let me tell you something that accountability needs to be. And it needs to be for us here. Accountability is I'm there when you're crying. I'm there when you're laughing. I'm holding your hand when you need some strength. I'm going to tell you that you blew it when you blew it but I'm going to be there to help you get back up. It's not pointing a finger. It's walking step by step by step with somebody. Look at this verse. This comes out of Romans. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Romans 12, 15. That's what accountability is. It's having friends relationships that when you cry, I cry. When you celebrate, I celebrate. I wasn't planning on telling the story, but I'm just going to anyway. Josh is one of my best friends, right? And so uh, in college, college, we kind of grew, grew to love each other a little bit. I ain't going to tell a bad story. It's okay. I wasn't planning on telling the story, but this is a good story about you. It makes you look really good. You should be happy that I'm going to tell this. Um, we, we used to fight like brothers. The water fountain right outside of our room was caved in by the end of the year because Josh would walk out. I'd, I'd make him so mad. He would walk out the door, slam the door, and punch the water fountain Every, all the time. It was, but, but one time I got a call and I found out that my mom had breast cancer. And for the whole afternoon, man, Josh wouldn't leave me. It was just like a, like a puppy following me around. And um, that's, that's what accountability is. That's what a good, a good relationship is like. You know? And some of us, man, we just don't have that. We don't. But early on, when we decided what kind of church we wanted to be, we decided that we want to be the kind of church where we had those relationships here. That matters to us. And so, before too long, we're going to start small groups. And listen, sometimes, sometimes we get in relationships and we don't, we don't want to go all the way. And this dude, this dude started this small group. I'm going to show you this video. You ain't going to believe it. All right? And they decided they didn't want to have those kind of significant relationships. But they wanted to have a small group anyway. Y'all watch this video. This thing's crazy. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? 
Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth. Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Hey, oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy. And we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? That's crazy, isn't it? You know what? As funny as that is, man, we live that way, don't we? We do. We avoid difficult conversations and really just want to kick it sometimes, right? But that's not the kind of relationships that lead to winning. And the last thing, the last reason why we need relationships is one of those kind of is the reason that some of us run from relationships is that we need to fight. We need to fight. Now, that's not permission for y'all to get out of here and go at each other, okay? I'm just going to say that. But the truth is, is that we need conflict in life. Because conflict produces change. And for many of us, we've thought, man, there's just so much friction. There's so much conflict. It's really difficult to navigate this relationship. Let me show you a verse that you've heard before. But it speaks to this truth. It comes out of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. Listen, iron doesn't sharpen iron without some friction. And the thing is, is that most of the time, the tension that I feel is going to produce something in me. Maybe I need to move a little bit. Maybe I need to adjust a little bit. Maybe I was wrong. 
And some of us, some of us hate conflict so much that we run from it. That we avoid it. And the truth is, is that you need to have some people around you that produce that in you because that's good. I mean, let's think about it. What kind of God would Jesus be if all he did was come down and tell me that everything I'm doing is right? That's tough to talk about, right? Because we do need occasionally to be corrected. And yesterday, my wife and I had my daughter in in our bedroom, and we were kind of playing with her. She was walking back and forth between us, and she loves to, like, bring me something and then take it back and take it to Amanda, then bring it back, you know, just kind of that passing back and forth game. And she was doing that, but then she took off, right, to go down my side of the bed. And and there's, you know, some home defense mechanisms that I'm not going to talk about exactly what they are that are next to my bed just going to lay that out there in public. Um, there, and that I didn't want her to get around. And so I yelled, Adelaide, no. She turned around and looked at me. And she, the face went from happy to sad. And you parents, you know what this is happening right now, right? And then the frown gets bigger. It gets bigger. And she starts crying. She ain't happy. But sometimes I got to tell her no. And it's not fun. I mean, it hurts a little bit when you have to do something and it it scares your child or disappoints them. And we get that. That makes sense right there. But in the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us that God disciplines those that he loves. And that sometimes we think, man, this relationship with Jesus thing, it ought to be going smooth. And I just feel, I feel a little friction. I mean, Jesus, can't you, can't you just kind of take me as I am and leave me alone? Right? But you can't win playing that game. You can't. I want to ask you a few questions as we get ready to close. The first one is real simple. Are you trying to win by yourself? Are you trying to win by yourself? Are you trying to do life on your own? Because if you are, I just want you to know that's a game that you can't win. Jesus, the Son of God, when he came to earth, he didn't even do it by himself. God made you in, in his image, and that's an image that needs a relationship. But the second question The second question is just as important. It's just real simple. Are you trying to win without Jesus? Are you trying to do this without him? 
Are you trying to avoid the, the tension that comes when we get a little closer to it? And it may not be in your whole life, but it might be in one area or one part of your life. So let's pray. As we pray, I want you to think about those questions. Lord, we just want to thank you today that with you, God, with you, the game can always change. And God, we need relationship. We need it just like your son Jesus did. But for many of us, people have hurt us. Things have happened. We're busy. We're running from it a little bit. So today, God, for those of us that are in the room and we've avoided, we've avoided people like a pesky little fly. Lord, today, free us from that fear. And for those of us that are in the room today, God, and we would honestly say to you, listen, I'm trying to do this without you. Because it just doesn't seem to be something that that works. I'm trying to get closer, but then I feel like everything in my life is breaking down and and God I, I just pray for those people today and ask that you would remind them that if we're ever ever going to win in life it's going to be playing your game so God today Lord, I just ask that you would remind us that we need some relationship, that ultimately we need relationship with you. Now, with nobody looking around, everybody's eyes closed, I want to ask you a really important question. How many of you would say, and I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been, I've been really trying to do this whole thing on my own, and I, and I recognize that I can't win on my own. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now so I can pray with you? You say, man, I've been trying to do this on my own, but I can't. That's awesome. Anybody else that would say that today? And then for those of you that are in the room and you would say, listen, I've been trying, I've been trying to play this game, but I've been, I've been doing the best I can, but I just haven't been doing it with Jesus. But perhaps, perhaps today God has called you to make that decision. Perhaps today you would say, I can. I can make that decision. I can play this with Jesus. I can, I can win because you can't win 
the other way. And if that's you today, if you would say, listen, I want to make a decision that from this point on, my life is going to be led by Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see that. Anybody else that would say today, listen, I'm going to make that decision. So God, for those people who have raised their hands today, those who have said that their lives today are going to become centered around you. Those people who said today, you know what, I've been trying to do it all on my own and I, I can't do it, I can't win that way. So God, today I pray for those folks and ask you to remind us that the most beautiful relationship we have is with you. that if we're ever going to have winning relationships, it's really going to be born out of the relationship that's sustained with you. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for those people in this room today that chose you. Amen. Amen. How about a hand clap for those people in the room today that decided.